Well, good morning. Let me welcome you. It is still officially summer at Crossroads, and we're excited that you're here, excited that you are joining us in person. Also excited that there are some people who are joining us online, either listening to the audio uh, portion of the message, or they're actually joining us on Facebook Live. All those across the nation and around the world, welcome to Crossroads Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We are excited that you're joining us. And let me say this, if you are joining us on Facebook, we'd love for you to comment below and let us know where you're listening from. I've already seen some people do that. But again, if you'll let us know where you're listening from, I mean, it might be in Lebanon, Tennessee, it might be in California, it might be in Texas, wherever you're listening from, we want to know that. And don't just listen or watch, actually share this from our Facebook page to yours. You can do that right now or you can do that later today. It just exposes more people uh, to the worship and to the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And we want to make sure that that's what happens as we continue uh, in our series, Five Lies. Now, before we dive into the series, let me say this. There are a couple of things I want to highlight, and one of the things that I want to highlight is right here on Wednesday afternoon from 4 p.m. until 6 p.m., we invite you, as we invite you every week, uh, to come and to join us for what we call our call to prayer. It happens between 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. in this auditorium. It's not structured. There's no worship team. There's no body speaking, no, no pastor on the stage. We just invite you to come in anytime between those hours of four and six, and spend time in prayer, praying for our country, praying for our community, praying for our leaders, praying for our families, and praying for our church. You'll just come in. You'll find some instructions on the table as you make your way in our main doors. Uh, the air conditioning will be on. There is some worship music to set the mood uh, and to make this a worshipful environment. And we just ask you to spend time in prayer. That might be 10 minutes. It might be 30 minutes. It might be two hours. You come at your leisure and spend time either sitting in a seat. You maybe want to get on your face. You want to come down to the foot of these steps. But again, however that works for you, as long as we're not bothering other people who are doing the same thing. So let me invite you. Join me. Join other people who will be here on this Wednesday from 4 p.m. until 6 p.m. The other thing I want to highlight you, highlight for you is next Sunday uh, at this time uh, is what we call our Hawaiian Tropic Sunday. Uh, again, we've done some kind of flavored Sundays, some themed Sundays, and next week we're kind of going with the Hawaiian theme. So again, uh, we're asking you to wear something that's kind of Hawaiian, whether that's one of those, you know, Don Ho kind of shirts with the flowery patterns, or whether that's a, a lady's, uh, I, I don't know what women would really wear. i tell you what you don't wear. No coconut bras, okay? We have none of those. So anyway, wear, wear something that is kind of Hawaiian themed. Maybe put on your Hawaiian tropic, uh, you know, suntan oil. Uh, we're going to have some other things that we're going to kind of incorporate into next Sunday. But again, Hawaiian tropic Sunday is next weekend. We're going to have a surprise or two, hopefully. Uh, so again, I want to encourage you to be here. Invite somebody to come with you as things are kind of starting to get back into a routine. School is back. People are trying to adjust. I know there's still weekend trips. But again, if you can be in church, be at church. Let me also take the time to, to help you understand that something that I've said from the very beginning, that we knew this summer was going to be a challenge because the last couple of summers, because of COVID, people have spent their money and their time at home. Again, if you follow any of the business uh, news, you kind of see that Lowe's and Home Depot are down a little bit this year. Because people made a conscious decision at the beginning of summer that I'm not working on my house, I'm not staying at the house, I'm going to travel. 
And they have taken every opportunity to go every place they possibly could because for the most part, they missed it the last couple of years. So when people travel, what happens? They go and every bit of their tithing and giving goes. So it puts us kind of in a pinch. So I say this in both sides out of my mouth. Uh, again, I want to thank those of you that have faithfully stayed faithful in your giving and supporting what God has called us to do. Uh, let me thank you for doing that because it's without you, we couldn't do what God has called us to do. But if you have missed any this summer and you can make that up, it would be advantageous to us because we don't want to get behind on the things that we're obligated to here and the ministry that God has called us to. So again, uh, if you can make that up, that would be great. We would appreciate that, and God will bless you again uh, for doing that. And again, it just helps us do what God has called us to do. And maybe you're one of those persons who has never started giving at all. This is a great time. It's a great time to just test God because that's the only place that God calls us to test Him is in our giving. Uh, and so I would ask you this morning, if you're not tithing, if you're not giving, uh, tithing is really giving 10% off the top. That's what we're called to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what I believe. Some people don't believe that, but I believe that's what the scripture calls us to do as followers of Jesus, 10% off the top. Uh, and again, if you're not tithing, just start somewhere. I mean, start with 2% or 4%, whatever, you know, you feel like, and then just work that up until you get to that goal uh, of 10%. Because I'm telling you, you, come on somebody, you can't outgive God. You just cannot outgive God. I guarantee you that. So that's, I think, why he calls us to test him. So anyway, we are in week four of our series, Five Lies. And we continue that today, and I know we have some people visiting here, uh, uh, because I met a couple of you, you came in, and, and I talked to some of you this week, but again, we're in a series, Five Lies, where what I did was I asked our people to send in a lie, and I'm going to preach about it. Now, that, that, now, don't get scared, okay, because what I asked people to do was send me a lie that somewhere in life, somebody told you that this is the way it's going to be. And you believed it, or you practiced it, or you wove it into your life in some way, shape, form, or fashion, and that lie has ultimately impacted your life in some way. And it's really interesting, some of the lies that I have received. I can't, I can't speak on all of them. But as time has gone on, what we have discovered is that these lies are exactly what they are. They are lies because you believed it and you practiced it and you incorporated it in your life. And negatively, most of these have impacted our life. And it is done so in a way that you wish you could go back and do things over. So, so here was our idea. Our idea was that, that you would send in your lies and that I would take those lies and, and we would go to Scripture, and we would look at the lie that you bought into, that you have practiced in your life, that somebody told you, and we would go to the Scripture, and, and then we would spend our time here on Sunday morning to actually go to the Scripture, to go to God's Word, to go to the Bible, and dismantle the lies with the truth of Scripture, and look at what God has to say about the very lies that you sent in. I only wish that I could tell you some of the things that you guys have shared with me 
about how these lies have impacted your life. Because most of you have told me and shared with me that 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 lie has impacted your life in a way that was not for the good. It was not for the better. So this morning, as we get started, we're going to look at a lie today that I think it's probably one of the lies that most every person in this auditorium listening or watching online that we have bought into at some point in our lives. And if the truth is known, this is a lie that many of you bought into this morning. You actually have already practiced this lie today right after your feet hit the floor. So without further ado, here is lie number four. I can do that later, right? I mean, some of, some of you have already said that before you even got to church. I mean, that, that's a lie that you bought into. I can do that later. So I think one of the best ways to start looking uh, at this lie this morning is to actually take a survey And I want to ask all of you that are in the auditorium, as well as those watching online or, you know, listening online, uh, again, if you're in your car at the stop sign, don't take both hands off the wheel, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hand, who has ever procrastinated in some area of your life? Come on, people, come on, come on. Ray, uh, I mean, if if you are not holding up your hand right now, you are not telling the truth. I mean, we've all done that. Because again, when you think about it, it's actually procrastination that's at the heart of lie number four. I can do that later. That's really about procrastination. Let me run through a few categories that'll help some of you come clean this morning. Now, keep your hands down right now. If you have ever had a project around the house that you really needed to complete, but you just couldn't get around to it. Anybody? If you ever put off returning a phone call or sending an email or writing a letter that you knew you should call or you knew you should write. Have you ever delayed a doctor's appointment because you were afraid that there might be something wrong? Have you ever been late for an appointment or even for church? Have you ever gone shopping for Christmas on December 24th? (laughs) Have you ever waited until April the 15th to mail in your taxes? Now, here's here's the one I'm going to get a bunch of you. Have you ever put off going on a diet because it wasn't Monday yet? Now, okay, everybody, if you have ever procrastinated in any area of your life, do it again. Would you raise your hand right now? Let's all, come on, let's all come clean. Let me ask this. How many of you have intended to procrastinate, but you just hadn't gotten around to it yet? See? (laughs) There's a guy by the name of John Ortberg. And this morning, 
I want to suggest to you what he says might be the most dangerous word in all the English language. And it's actually found in Exodus chapter 8. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, Exodus chapter 8. Let me, let, let me, while you're turning there, let me give you some background. Let me give you some context because you need to really understand the background and the context because, again, I'm always telling you, it's all in the details. You've got to understand the context of the Scripture so that you can see how something thousands of years old can apply to your life in 2023. Now, let me just say before we go to Exodus, this is like one of my top 10 stories in the Bible. It's like one of my top 10 that I love. And I love speaking about this, and I love talking about this, and I love preaching about this. And the thing that I really like about talking about something that maybe I've even talked about here multiple times is that it's a story like this that is just a reminder to me that the Bible is alive and active and is cutting into me, spiritually speaking, like a double-edged sword. It, 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 again, when you, when you think about a story that you've seen and talked and taught about hundreds of times, it, it, it's almost like when you read that story, something new comes out of it every time. It's kind of like me holding a prism. You know what a prism is? You hold a prism up to the light, and you turn the prism in the light. And every time you turn that prism in the light, that prism will show you something different, a different color, uh, a different pattern, and you'll see it every time. That is exactly the way Scripture is to me. If you take the time to read it and digest it and to look at the context of it, you can read the same verse today and get something out of it and read that verse on Wednesday, the same verse, and get something totally different out of it. And that's what this story does. It's part of the Exodus. It's the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. And in this part that we're going to look at, the Israelites have been slaves in Egypt for a long time, for centuries. And the desire of their heart is one thing. It's freedom. So most of you know that God looks down and selects one guy named Moses. Moses is the guy who's going to lead the Israelites out of Egypt into freedom. But what's interesting about this story is that, that when you look at the story, the Israelites didn't have any leverage. They were captives, they were slaves, they were held by Pharaoh, but they didn't have any bargaining chips. There was no bargaining power. Because this guy named Pharaoh was what I call an entrepreneur. He knew that the Israelites were his labor. Slave labor. Free labor. And let me tell you, you've got a nice profit margin when the labor is free. So God calls Moses, goes to Moses. And God gives Moses these powerful bargaining chips called the plagues. And it's the plagues that are kind of used to level the playing field between Pharaoh and the Israelites. See, in one of those plagues, the, the, the water is turned into blood. In other plagues, there are gnats and flies 
They're locusts. They're boils. But it's in the midst of those plagues that I just mentioned that to me is the most memorable of all the plagues. And it's the one that I like talking about. It's the one that I like speaking about the most. And it's found in Exodus 8, starting at verse 6. It'll be on the screen, but again, if you want to look at your Bible, Exodus chapter 8, verse 6, here's what it says. This is the account. This is the place we find that one word that I want us to focus on this morning. And that one word is going to be found in Pharaoh's response to Moses. Look at what it says. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the water of Egypt. And the frogs came up and they covered the land. But the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and from my people. And I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, look at this. Now here's, what, here's what you have to understand. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave you telling Pharaoh, I leave it up to you. I leave you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for those frogs that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow. Oh, come on. Pharaoh said, tomorrow. And Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. I mean, we have this picture, frogs everywhere. I mean, frogs in the Cedar City Brewery, frogs in the Town Square Social, frogs on the square, frogs everywhere, frogs on the table, frogs on the floor, here frog, there frog, everywhere frog, frog, oh, McDonald. I mean, that's where the frogs were. They were everywhere. And it begs you to ask the question of Pharaoh, dude, what are you thinking? The frogs are out of control. The Bible tells us that the frogs were in the palace. They were in Pharaoh's bed. They were in the houses of the official. They were in the houses of the people. Frogs were everywhere. I read somewhere, somebody put it like this. I should have made a note who this was, but it's just a note that I made. Here's the way somebody said it. Pharaoh couldn't even back his chariot out of the garage without killing hundreds of frogs. His pizza was covered in frogs. In his home is anything, if his home is anything like mine, his wife and oldest daughter have been standing on chairs screaming ever since this plague began. His youngest daughter has run out of jars in which to collect the frogs and ultimately suffocate the frogs. The frogs are everywhere. 
Yet when Moses offers to get rid of the frogs, Pharaoh's response is tomorrow. Tomorrow. And you think, does he enjoy frog legs? Is the sound of his screaming wife and daughter music to his ears? What could possibly motivate a man to want to wait till tomorrow when he can take care of the problem today? Why? Why spend another night with the frogs? See, here's the thing. If you, if you look at Pharaoh's behavior, you start to realize that it's really not that unusual. I've honestly been there myself. I've done that. I've seen you do that. I've seen other people do that. They settle for another night with the frogs. And see, when I see people doing that, I have a phrase for that. And that phrase goes like this. It's the someday syndrome. Someday I'm going to quit complaining. Someday I'm going to be grateful. Someday I'm going to get in shape. Someday I'm going to start enjoying life. Someday I'm going to slow down and spend time with my family. Someday I'm going to get serious about my relationship with Jesus Christ. Someday I'm going to get more organized. Someday I'm going to take more risks. Someday I'll be more generous. Someday I'm going to tell that person that I love them. Because so many people in this auditorium and you watching online are living your life waiting for someday. Someday when I graduate. Someday when I get a little older. Someday when I get a job. Someday when I get married. Someday when we have kids. Someday when the kids move away. Someday when I retire. See, the thing that's puzzling is this. Moses said to Pharaoh, you don't have to live with the frogs. You say the word, Pharaoh. Say the word, say the word, say the word. Are you ready? Say the word and the frogs are going to be gone. Well, Pharaoh says, I'd have to give up my labor. I'm not really ready to give up the Israelites, my free labor, my slave labor, my, my labor source. Maybe if I just wait, the frogs will go away. Maybe they'll hop over to, to, to Assyria. Or maybe the frog fairy will come and make the frogs disappear. See, here's the thing I want you to understand. Pharaoh has learned that he can live with the frogs. John Ortberg says that Pharaoh learned that he could tolerate 
a frog-saturated life. It's not a great life. There's not much joy in a frog-saturated life. But Pharaoh kind of figured, you know what, I can survive it. And he prefers to live with the frogs versus the change that would be required in repentance. I've got a definition I want to show you for procrastination. Procrastination is the failure to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Procrastination is our failure to do the right thing at the right time. See, for most of us, our problem is not that we don't know what to do. Our problem is not that we deliberately refuse to do what we ought to do. It's just that we don't get around to it. It's not that we don't know the right thing to do. It's just that we don't get around to doing the right thing. The thing that we know we need to do at the right time. So if you and I are going to move out of living a life that's not defined by the lie that I can wait till later, there are some things that I think we need to do. And I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. I'm going to tell you, these may sound a little strange, but just track with me on this. Here's the first thing you need to do. The first thing you need to do is give up perfection. That's the very first thing. Because one of the strongest links to procrastination is perfectionism. John Acuff, uh, an author, calls this the procrastinating perfectionist. He says this, 90% perfect and shared with the world will change more lives than 100% perfect, but still kept in your head. Look at Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4. Here's what the writer says there. If you wait for a perfect condition, you'll never get anything done. But that's us. You're waiting for the perfect day. You're waiting for the perfect plan. You're waiting for the perfect reason. You're waiting for the perfect season. You're waiting for the perfect person. If you're waiting to pursue perfection, it will always paralyze you. Because that's what perfection does. It stops you in your tracks. It paralyzes. So if you're going to move out from living this lie that I can do that later, you have to give up perfection. Here, here's the second thing. The second thing you need to do is buddy up. I know that sounds a little crazy, but listen, listen to what I'm saying. You need to go public. Go public with your dreams. See, the longer I stay quiet about something that God has prompted me to do, the more likely I am not to do it. So I need to buddy up. I need to tell people. 
Because here's the thing, the longer I live with that little prompting of God, that little God prompt, then the more content I become in not following that God prompt. So if I tell people what God has prompted me to do, and I let other people in, I buddy up with somebody else, there's somebody holding me accountable. It's more likely that I'm going to do what God has prompted me to do. So, so we need to give up on perfection. We need to, to buddy up. But here's the third thing. We need to ruthlessly prioritize. I'm the one who has to decide what really matters. Because it's a choice. Listen, listen, listen. It's a choice of the heart. I want to live so that my life reflects values, my values. So that when people look at me, they can see and discern what is really important to me. Look, look at Psalm 90, verse 12. It says, teach us to number our days so that we may grow in wisdom. Hebrews 3, beginning at verse 13. Says you must warn each other every day as long as it is called today. That's that's so good. It, it kind of dovetails right into what Julio was reading a while ago from the scripture in Matthew. You must warn each other every day as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. But never forget the warning. Now look at what it says. Never forget the warning. It's a warning. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. It's a warning. Never forget the warning. Today you must listen to his voice. Don't harden your hearts against him. As Israel did when they rebelled. See, the thing I'm wondering this morning is how many have you, of you have been putting off? How many of you are putting off getting serious about your spiritual life? Tomorrow. God will be there tomorrow. That's the thing I'm wondering. How many of you are putting off getting serious about your spiritual life? How many of you right now in this service, where you're watching or listening online, how many of you right now have negative patterns or habits right now that the Spirit of God is bringing up to you in your life? Telling you that you need to correct those. See, one of the things I'm wondering is how many of you that are listening and watching online, how many of you are waiting to come back to church? Why are you waiting to come back to church? I mean, I love the online thing, and we, we were kind of forced into doing it. And, and let me just say this. If you're sick and you have a reason and you're traveling, that's a great, that's a, it's great to watch and join us online. But again, if, if you are an able-bodied person, and you can get up and you can go everywhere else, but you just have to watch online. I mean, there's no excuse for that. 
How long are you going to wait before you come back to church? Can I just tell you something? This is not a religious show. This is the time and the place that God's family gets together. This is a family. And this is where we get together to worship and to praise and to give God glory. It's not a show. Hebrews 10.25 says, Forsake not the assembling of yourself together. You need to be in church. How long are you going to wait before you come back to church? Let me just tell you. You know, most of you, there used to be twice as many people, if not more than that, in this service that you're attending before COVID. Same thing at 830. As a matter of fact, we went from three services to two. And you know what we could really do? We could go from two services to one. Based on just who shows up on a normal Sunday. Again, how long are you going to wait before you come back to church? Why are you waiting to get back into church? Tomorrow. No, today. Tomorrow. No, today is the day of salvation. There's a guy named Saul. Saul was called to be the king of Israel. He was actually called the glory of Israel. Saul is this guy who had a heart for God. And in the beginning, that's exactly who he was. And that's exactly the way he acted. And he was humble. And then one day, after Saul had been king for a bit, after this big battle... A young man named David comes along, and David becomes the hero. And the troops are coming home from the battlefield. And the troops start singing this song. 99 bottles of, on the wall. 99, no, they didn't sing that. They sing this song. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain tens of thousands. And you know what the Bible tells us? That from that time on, because of that song, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Envy got started in Saul. And envy was something that Saul never dealt with. Let me ask you a question. Did envy help Saul? Did envy make him a more effective king? Did, any, did envy benefit any of his relationships? No, it destroyed him. Envy destroyed his heart. It consumed him with anger. It drove him to attempted murder. It destroyed his relationship with his own son. It was envy. And in the end... It was envy that cost him his crown. It cost him his throne and his life. It cost him everything. Envy literally cost Saul everything. 
So why would Saul not do something about something like envy that would ultimately destroy him? I'll tell you what I think. I don't think that Saul deliberately chose to live with envy. I don't think Saul said to himself, now I'm intentionally going to develop a bitter, jealous heart. I don't think he said that. I don't think he did that. I think he did like Pharaoh. He knew there was envy in his heart, but he learned that he could just live with it. Saul thought he could live with envy, and Pharaoh thought that he could live with the frogs. And like Pharaoh, Saul thought that envy would not bother him. He thought that it would not affect him. A wife holds a grudge against someone. And you intentionally withhold your love. You nurse your resentment. Even though you know it's destroying your own heart. It's making you miserable. But you've learned that you can live with it. A sex addict keeps going back to the internet. Even though they know that that internet site that they're visiting is destroying their marriage. It's destroying their self-respect. It's eating you up with shame. It's eating you up with guilt. But you've learned that you can live with it. A couple is sinking in unmanageable debt. Debt is the thing that's destroying their life. But they go out and get another credit card for one reason, to go deeper in debt. See, the pressure is mounting on them, but they've learned that they can live with the pressure. So I want to ask you this morning, and let me just say there's no joy in this. It's not creating a more loving, caring, patient, peaceful serving person but for you maybe it's a pattern of deception and the truth is you're just getting used to it you've actually started to rely on it maybe for you it's an addictive behavior substance abuse or sexual patterns maybe for you it's a judgmental spirit that's gotten a little stronger in you and you see that judgmental spirit and you know that it's stronger this year than it was this time last year so maybe today you stop saying tomorrow maybe today's the day you give up your excuses See, maybe today is the day that you say, enough is enough. 
Because today is your day, Crossroads. Because hear what I'm about to say. The choices you make will not only impact the life that you live, but it will affect the legacy that you leave. This is our day. This is our life. Others have gone before us and others will come after us. You have this day. Don't say tomorrow. Today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear God's voice, follow His voice so that you can live. And not just live so that you can truly live. Because whatever you do in whatever area of your life it is, don't spend another night with the frogs. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, today is the day of salvation. There is no promise for any of us of a tomorrow. I mean, it seems to me, based on what I read from Scripture, that everything is in place for the return of Jesus Christ to gather His church. And that could happen before I finish this prayer. Don't put off doing something about your relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, Crossroads, those watching and listening online. Maybe today's the day that you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Ask Him to become your Savior, your Redeemer, your Forgiver, your Friend. Let Him be the Lord of your life. It's not about a prayer that's prayed. It's about a decision of the heart that's made. But maybe to vocalize that right where you are, you could say simply, God, this morning, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And God, I believe that based on what I have been taught or heard, I believe he'll do exactly what I think and know he says he'll do. And God, even though I have questions this morning, I'm willing to step out in faith. That's what this is, faith, believing that Jesus will do in my life what he says he will do. Forgive me and lead me and take me into eternity with him. So this morning, God, I just ask you to forgive me based on the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, his blood that was shed out for the forgiveness of sin. And God, I ask you to look down on me. Forgive me as I turn and repent and I turn to you to live a life as best as I know how, as best as I can, following Jesus. Just surrender your life to Him today. As your forgiver, as your redeemer, as your friend. For the rest of us, maybe it's a time about kind of doing that all over again. We just ask God to do in us what He did in that early part of our Christian walk. Maybe we've kind of wandered away and we just need to come back and we just need to get on our knees and to get on our face and ask God to begin to do something in us anew. 
so that we can be the people that he's called us to be. So it's about surrender and it's about resurrender. Every head bowed, every eye closed. That's the song we're going to sing that we sang last week. It helps us focus on the importance of what Jesus has done and what it means to our lives when we follow him. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this worship. Again, do what you can by your spirit as only you can. As we ask this prayer in Jesus' name, amen.